Well, since about September, I've had the privilege of being down in Kids Connect as we are in search of our children's director. And it really is a privilege of mine to be down there leading kids, connecting with them so they can be connected with Christ. It's something I really do enjoy doing. I miss being in here on a regular basis, sharing with you some of my other passions, such as life groups and getting adults connected with one another, getting you guys connected with Christ as well. But we'll have opportunities and occasions for that to happen, though. I do have the privilege of bringing the message to you this morning and next week as Pastor Neil, as you've heard, is away in Rwanda, uh, leading and training local pastors there. We'll be continuing in our series in the book of Mark because our goal is to finish the book of Mark by Easter time. And so next week, I'll be sharing with you more about an upcoming Lent Easter study devotional that we'll have available for you starting in March. Last week, Pastor Neil stopped in the middle end of chapter 8, with Peter rebuking Jesus, Jesus quickly rebuking Peter, there was this attempt by Jesus to heal a blind man. It took him two times. And Neil explained that it was not because Jesus didn't have enough power in him. He's like, God, give me some more power to heal this guy. He was just saying it took two attempts because he was illustrating to the crowd and even his disciples that they were having a hard time truly seeing what he was here to do. And it was at that moment, right after that, that Jesus talks to his disciples in the plain language, no parables, tells them he's going to die and he'll rise three days later. That information got Peter all upset, took Jesus aside and said, yo, bro, we can't be talking like this. What do you mean you're going to die? And Jesus turns his back to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Your concerns are of man and not of God's. And so it's good for us to know what's going on because that leads us into the conversation that we're having this morning in Mark chapter 8. One of adding verse 1 of chapter 9. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. If you're using one of the Bibles that are there in the chairs in front of you, this is on page 854. Mark chapter 8. We'll start in verse 34 and through verse 1 of chapter 9. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Then he said to them, I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Now, so far up in the book of Mark, what Jesus is doing in his ministry is that he's saying, I'm not just a regular man. 
This is something unique, something that has never happened before. And if you knew nothing about the end of the story, or for a moment you can just imagine that the end of the story is about Jesus becoming king or setting up his earthly kingdom on earth, it would all make sense for us to believe like the crowd and the disciples that this guy was the coming Messiah, the Savior to the nation of Israel. We have Jesus healing people's diseases, giving sight to the blind. He's preaching a kingdom of God message. One day he was in the synagogue, handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opens up and reads it, hands it back to the priest, sits down and says, this is fulfilled in your presence today. He read out of Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 that says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They knew that this was a prophecy for the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm here. In Luke chapter 7, we have John the Baptist who is in prison and John sends word to Jesus and said, Are you the one or should we be expecting another one after you? And Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, Go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news. Just as what is prophesied in Isaiah is being fulfilled. There is not one coming after me. I am the one. So it was when his disciples and Jesus talks to them and says, Who do people say that I am? Well, some people are saying you're like John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Because John was wild and crazy, going in the wilderness, preaching a message of repentance. You're wild and crazy, wandering around, preaching a message of repentance. Or maybe you're one of the prophets. Or maybe you're prophet Elijah, the great prophet. And next week we'll talk more about Elijah as he's standing with Moses and Jesus on the mountain, which is known as the Transfiguration. But it all points to the last prophet of the last chapter in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 4, it says, Look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Everybody was anticipating this day when God would come back and set up a king who would destroy the surrounding nations, set up the nation of Israel once again like it was back in the day of King David. There's so many prophecies talking about this Messiah and everything that Jesus was doing, everything that he was saying so far was saying, I'm that person. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter rightfully says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the winner, the victor, the great warrior. You're the one. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you're wrong. He says, shh, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. So it's so confusing for the disciples when Jesus begins to say, I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. It's such a turning point in his mission. It's such a turning point in the book of Mark where Jesus is telling them in plain language, no more parables saying, I'm going to die. 
Jesus begins to stop doing his ministry in the north, bouncing around to village to village, and he begins to head southward towards Jerusalem, where he will face his trial and death on the cross. The disciples and the crowds, they didn't understand that this Savior needed to be a suffering Savior. Those were prophesied in the Old Testament, in the same books that you find the other prophecies, but so many overlooked it because they were so focused on what they wanted God to do. And that same thing can happen for you and me. We can completely miss out on what God is actually doing because we're so focused on what we want God to do. God, I want you to do that. And God says, I'm here, I'm working. Look at it. And that's why Jesus then flows out of that conversation and say, you want to be my follower? Let's talk about what being a follower actually looks like. I'm a suffering savior. You want to follow me? Your life is not going to be a cushy life in a palace. That goal is really short-sighted. It's so earthly-minded. It's what man wants. It's not what God wants. So what does being his follower look like? Step one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Get over yourself. Stop thinking it's all about you. In fact, look to your neighbor and say, get over yourself. (laughs) Some of you aren't doing that because you know that how divorce happens. You know that's how church splits happen, right? Get over yourself. It's not about you. Your time is not so you can spend it however you want. Your money is not for you to spend it however you want. Your abilities are not for you to spend however you want. Get over yourself. Stop making it about you. The word deny here is what Peter does later as Jesus is on trial and people begin to hang around Peter and say, hey, you're, you're the guy who hung around Jesus. You know him, right? You're one of his disciples. And he says, I didn't know. I don't know the guy. He's denying that he even knows him. Denying yourself means that you have no acquaintance or connection with yourself. Now, this isn't about going mental, forgetting, I don't know who I am. This means that you aren't giving a thought, a word, or action to your self-promotion or your self-interest. You are really devoted to what God wants more than what you want. You really are saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want to happen. Deny myself. And this is what Peter got so upset with Jesus about dying. And Jesus rebukes him because he's so concerned about what he wants or what the culture wants instead of what God wants. To be a follower of Christ, we've got to be honest with ourselves and do what God wants. Are you really willing to set aside yourself completely for God? Well, my wife and I, we have four children. Our youngest is five years old. And something you may not know about him is that he loves powdered donuts. Loves powdered donuts. Now, as a parent, we take full advantage of that wisdom. Sometimes we... We use that as a reward or a celebration for doing something good. Every time he gets a haircut at Chris's Barbershop here in town, he gets a powdered donut because it's close to Dunkin' Donuts. And so last week, my wife made this deal 
with him if he was good as we were driving kids from birthday parties to a friend's house or whatever, that he'd get a powdered donut. Well, we forgot to get the powdered donut. So when he woke up last Sunday, all excited and anticipating that powdered donut, he soon realized that that powdered donut did not exist in the house. And he wasn't too happy about that. Well, Sunday mornings are busy in our home, as I'm sure they are busy for you. I leave the house about 7.30 with my oldest son, Evan. We get to here to the church, unlock the doors, turn the lights on. He makes coffee for the volunteers, those kind of things. It's a busy morning. My wife, she's got to get herself ready, which I know doesn't take very long because she's so naturally beautiful. (laughs) But she's got to get the three other kids ready in the morning, and she likes to leave about 8.20, 8.30, so she can be here greeting you. So it's busy in the morning. So, and I know, Parenting 101 says, never negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> but you as a parent, don't judge me because I know you do the same thing, right? You negotiate, you make, you make promises, and we didn't hold up our end of the deal. So I went to him and I said, hey, I know we were supposed to get you this donut, but we forgot. How about I go ahead and make you something else for breakfast, and then after church, we'll go get that powdered donut. And he says... No, I want my powdered donut. So I I, I know as a parent, I can assert my authority and say, no, listen, you're not having that powdered donut, and that's the way it's going to be. But I didn't think that the situation called for that kind of moment. I wanted to deny myself. I wanted to be humble. I wanted to admit that, you know, we didn't hold up our end of the deal. So I said, hey, little buddy, if I go get the donut, then I'm running late and, you know, and then the coffee's late. And, and then if, my, if Tina, my wife, goes and gets the donut, then she's going to be running late. And, you know, let's all just be happy, and, and we'll go get that donut later. And he didn't even think about it for a second. He says, no. <laughs> I want my powdered donut. I want my powdered donut. Now, of course, we can all be appalled at his selfishness, and we think that this boy needs to learn some lessons. But it illustrates perfectly how you and I are every day. Every day. We want what we want a lot. We want our powdered donut. We want life to be the way we want it. And we want God to do for us to make us happy because we know what's going to make us happy. And it's that powdered donut. You know, and there's some people who promised me a powdered donut and they didn't give me my powdered donut and I'm not going to let them get away with it. We do this in our marriages. Sometimes we withhold love and affection because we want love and affection first. Or we bribe, hey, if you give me this, I'll give you that. We do this at the workplace. Our employer says, hey, we've got some extra projects and they need you to take on some more work. There's no more money involved. And you begin to think, well, I know what so-and-so does and I know how much so-and-so makes. And unless I'm going to get more, I'm not doing more because it's about me. We go to the grocery store and we look for the shortest line because we got to get out of there. Although we'll spend about 45 minutes, maybe to an hour, strolling around, looking at all the products. But the moment that we're ready, oh, we want to get out of there in seconds. Don't they care about me? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know I have places to go? It's about me. We're selfish more than we may want to admit. And I challenge you to think through an entire day this week considering every time you had this thought, word, or action that says, I am important. 
Jesus says, deny yourself. Disagree with yourself that you need that. Admit that you don't have to have that. Don't consider yourself more important than anyone else. That's what I was hoping Andrew to do. Dude, you need to deny yourself. You need to be humble. I needed to deny myself. I needed to be humble. I needed to fulfill the promise that I made. And yes, he got the donut. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, Apostle Paul talks about Jesus this way. You can write this down and look it up later. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage or something to be grasped tightly. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in the external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Understand this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's clearly stated in the Scriptures. Jesus did not have to concern himself with our problems. Yet Jesus denied himself in order to put our interest in mind. He set aside his right, his authority to have it his way, and he humbled himself, becoming like us, understanding what we experience, and then meeting our true need. And Jesus is saying, you want to be my follower? Then you've got to do what I do. Deny yourself. Completely do that. Pick up your cross. Step two. Carry your cross. That's not an easy or a pleasurable undertaking. It's very clear for the crowd, for his disciples who are hearing this, that the cross was all about death by crucifixion. Hanging on a tree. It was a common form of public punishment and execution. It was cruel, inhumane, an extreme form of torture, a slow and painful death. As a form of public humiliation, people can walk by, laugh at you, mock at you, yell at you. You were shamed upon while you were suffering. Those who were sentenced to be crucified sometimes were asked to carry the beam upon their back as they walked to the place of execution. Later we see Jesus, a soldier, grabbing Simon from Cyrene and having him carry the crossbeam for Jesus, perhaps symbolizing that we aren't even going to be able to carry ours. But that's the imagery that Jesus says here. You need to pick up your cross and walk to the place of execution. That's such a crazy requirement. What are you saying, Jesus? There's no business proposal or pitch that would ever get invested this way. Hey, I've got this great idea. If you join the team, you're pretty much doomed to suffer. And the, the more involvement that you get, the higher in the ranks you are, you're pretty much in danger of death. How many of you want to come on board and let's get hated together? That's what Jesus is saying. Taking up your cross means that you need to be willing to suffer. 
And not to suffer for the sake of just suffering some like self-punishment, woe is me, look at me. This suffering comes from other people around us as we are standing up for the truth, standing up for his righteousness, for his kingdom. For Jesus, the cross was not only a literal cross to bear, but the cross meant that he would be counted among the sinners, even though he did no sin. It challenged his integrity. It marred his reputation as a righteous man who did nothing wrong. He would be despised, mocked, laughed at. He would be rejected, humiliated, and hated. And that's what we should expect to experience as we make stands for Jesus and the gospel. Now in an American culture where we're not literally being persecuted yet for sharing the gospel... Maybe it's hard for us to picture what does carrying the cross look like for us? Well, taking up your cross is not in the morning putting on the cross necklace so that everybody can see that you're a Christian and that's doing the witnessing for you. If you were in a region where, in the world where talking about Jesus is actually dangerous, putting on that cross necklace, that would be a public marker and an open welcome to be persecuted. But I don't think you putting on that cross puts you in harm's danger. In standing up for the truth, standing up for righteousness, standing up for Jesus causes people to be rubbed the wrong way. We've seen so many times in the book of Mark where Jesus' message is not always welcomed. People didn't like his message because it messes with their lifestyle, with their view of the world, with their pursuit of material gain and so on. His message messes with me. Asking me to forgive when I don't want to forgive. Asking me to forget the powdered donut when I don't want to forget the powdered donut. It messes with you and your fleshly desires. It could be in the workplace that you have to stand up for the truth, knowing that you may lose your job. And some of you have lost a job because you've stood for the truth. Talking about Jesus at your school is a quick way to get noted that you're a weird person. Yet Jesus is telling us, have those conversations about faith, about church, about Jesus. People are going to push back and say, stop pushing your religion on me. Why are you making me feel like I'm not a good person? I believe in a God. Isn't that enough? They're going to say all sorts of things so that you would just stop talking. Because talking about God, talking about Jesus makes me feel uncomfortable. And we already talked about that at the beginning of the year. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin so that he can point us to the cross. So we can find true forgiveness. It's uncomfortable because there's a battle in the soul. Taking up the cross means that you and I embrace what the cross is all about. The cross was a sacrifice where we put to death our sins and our trespasses against God. The sin is an acknowledgement that we are sinners in need of saving, and the only way to be saved is through the cross. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in the world. We don't trust in the government. We can't even trust in our, our family. We can't trust in the rituals of works to provide salvation. It's about the cross. So picking up our cross is like taking our sins to the cross daily. Jesus already took all of our sin. He already nailed them to the cross. But we go to the cross acknowledging that we need the cross. 
And then step three is follow Jesus. Now, it seems kind of redundant. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Then follow me. But I think Jesus is saying that he knows that some people, some of us, we can easily get tripped up in just working on the first two, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, as though that's a system of works again. There are some groups within Christianity that make a lifestyle of denying themselves and keeping themselves humble through penance and prayers, and yet they never engage anyone with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus ate and talked with sinners. He shared with them the love and forgiveness of God. There's groups of Christians, you don't have a problem coming to church every week, putting in the tithe and the offering plate. The other six days of the week, you never open the Bible to see what God wants you to do. You're not following Jesus. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men as a lifestyle. Imagine the disciples. They were fishers, fishermen, tax collectors, whatever it was of their career. Imagine when Jesus said, hey, come follow me. They were like, eh, I'm good. Jesus, your message is awesome. I've never heard anything like that before. I've never seen anything that you're doing before. But that's a little wild and crazy for me. Whenever you're out and about preaching your message, I'll listen to it later on podcast. Anytime you're in town, come on over. You know, dinner's on me. But following you, I, I don't know about that. Following Jesus takes us to new places. Following Jesus has us interact with new people. Following Jesus moved me from wanting to be a graphic designer or a cartoon maker to go to Bible college and become a preacher. Following Jesus moved me out of the Midwest to come to New England. Crazy, I know. (laughs) Following Jesus has me talking to people and to preach. When in all honesty, I'm an introvert. Following Jesus had my wife and I do foster care and adopt three children. Following Jesus has you do things that you would never picture yourself ever doing. But you do them because you're following Jesus. Whether that's going on mission, whether that's changing your career, whether that's volunteering in kids' church, whether that's taking a week off in the summer and and chaperoning at a youth retreat or camp, whether that's hosting or leading a life group, whatever it is that Jesus is doing, Jesus is asking you to do something, and now you have to do it. Are you really willing to follow him daily in the good and in the bad, where the road is hard? Well, Jesus gives us why we would ever want to do that. Why would anybody sign up for that? Why would anybody follow you if that's what's going to happen? Well, he gives us this logical reasoning that your life is important. See, it's imperative for you to really understand how important your life is. There's three words in the Greek that define life. The word life here signifies your inner being, your soul, your heart and desires, your thoughts, your mind. It's you as a whole person. It's what makes you, you. It's where we get the word psychology, suke. It's different than the life that's in the flesh here, in my arms and legs, the blood, the the nervous system. That's biology. It's different than the life that we have in eternity, the divine life 
That's zoe. This is the life that you and I are made of. And Jesus is saying, let's talk about you as a person. Let's not talk about trying to make your behavior modification, make you a better person by doing certain things. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about this pie in the sky, future, something in the happens that we can't really see. Let's talk about you right now, where you are, your life. Your passions, your thoughts, your desires. You've got a body, it's a part of you, but if you didn't have you, it wouldn't really be you. It's the thing that gives breath and life to that biological flesh. Jesus says, what would it benefit you if you were to gain the whole world? If you were to gain what you were pursuing, if you were to get that powder donut, what would it do if you were to get that but lose yourself? Is it worth it? How much are you willing to offer someone for your life? Home. My life is invaluable. It is. And here's the ironic thing. If you try to save your life by protecting it, by keeping it from danger, by trying to think out only for yourself, to think that you can fix all your problems on your own, you're going to lose it. You're going to destroy it. Yet if you lose your life, Deny yourself, know that it's not about you. Taking up your cross, knowing that you can't do anything about yourself, you'll save it. And that sounds really opposite, right? But your life here on earth and your relationship with God matters a lot. You matter to God and God matters to your everyday life. We see that God is a just God. Meaning that he's going to give you what you deserve. He's going to give you what you want. If you want to live your life on your own and you want to push God out of the way and you think, yeah, I don't need him, it's fine. When God comes back, God's not going to impose. You don't want to live your life for God, then God's not going to be in it. But if you want to deny yourself, you want to take up your cross, you want to follow Jesus... You want to say, I need God in my life. Then God will be in your life. If you want to be ashamed of God and say, I don't want to associate with God, then God's not going to associate with you. But if you want to draw near to God, God is there and he will be with you. The choice is yours and it's a heavy choice to contemplate. So then Jesus finishes the conversation with this phrase, I assure you there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. That's a message of hope and a message of caution. A message of hope and a message of caution. For those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, that's a message of hope, excitement. How long do I have to suffer? How long do I have to to suffer for your sake, Jesus? Not very long. The kingdom of God is coming. And for those who are standing there, the kingdom of God came 
And they didn't even realize it. They were probably still thinking that God was going to come and set up his kingdom, but it was something bigger and better than that. The Apostle Paul says, the things of this world, the sufferings we experience, it doesn't compare to the greatness we will experience in the glory of God. We get to experience true love and joy and inner peace. That can't be explained. I don't know how it works. I just feel peace. In the midst of all the stuff that's going on, I feel peace. I have that void filled of wanting to be accepted and loved. God fills that void. If God is for us, then who could be against us? What can separate us from God's love? Absolutely nothing. That's such hope and confidence and assurance. There's nothing better than to pursue a life with God. It's so fulfilling. But then there's a word of caution. Because there's many people who would hear the message, who heard the message, who then walked away from the message, who thought, well, let me think about it. Jesus is saying, you don't have a lot of time to think about it. He's coming back. We don't know when. It may be before I even finish this message. We have no idea. And God is saying, don't think about it any longer. Don't wait. God is coming back. And when he comes back, the chances are over. Humble yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Admit that you need Jesus. And Jesus will be there. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a heavy message. The road that you lay out to follow you is a hard road to really grasp what it means to deny myself, to take up the cross, to follow you. It sounds like an, uh, perhaps an easy and an amazing journey, and it is, but it's also hard to stand up for your word when it's against what people want to hear. We're conveying your love, your offer of forgiveness. So God, we need your help in order to, to make such steps to follow you daily. You're going to challenge us. But you're equipping us to do what you called us to do. So God, we thank you. And we're not doing this alone. God, I pray for those who perhaps listening to this message, maybe they're here in the service or they're listening to it online. And God, they, they haven't taken that step yet to follow you. Maybe this is the first time they've ever heard that you were God who came down to die on the cross for our sins. You died and you rose again three days later, showing your victory, your power over sin and death. Offering forgiveness of sins in God. It's a free gift. It's nothing more that we have to do Accept that gift. 
And God, if there are some here who've never done that, I pray that they would have that conversation with you and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I need you. Forgive me. And if that's you and you are taking that step for the first time, I'd ask that you would come and talk to me later after the service or write that on the connection card and just let us know you've made that decision to follow after Jesus. We want to come alongside you. You're not alone. And I plead for those who are contemplating. Let me think about this some more. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. God, thank you for calling us to this mission. Thank you for providing that hope, that peace, that love, that joy. In Jesus' name, amen.